Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different styles, the different grape varieties, and the history and culture associated with wine. In episode two, we looked at Chablis, beginning our focus on Burgundy, and we continue today by looking at the Côte d'Or, and in particular focusing on the Côte de Nuit. But let's first just give an overview of the history of Burgundy, and where we, how we got to where we are today. So Burgundy was founded uh, by the Romans. They were the first people to plant vines there back in the 200s, so nearly 2,000 years ago. But Burgundy, as a wine-growing region, was really established by the monks uh, beginning in the 500s. And it was the Benedictines who really um, got Burgundy going. And they owned land around Gevry, Pomard and Vaughan, still very important uh, villages for Pinot Noir production. The other important order were the Cistercians, and we mentioned them in connection with Chablis in episode 2, as they were the first to really establish Chablis as a wine region, and also in Burgundy they owned land around Bone in particular. And it's the Cistercians who really got the concept of terroir, which is so important for Burgundy. The fact that different vineyards and different villages produce different styles of wine, even though they're from the same grape variety. And this is at the heart of Burgundy's understanding of itself. The different villages and the different vineyards, the Premier Crew, the Grand Crew, all produce their own distinctive take on either Pinot Noir or Chardonnay. Besides the monks, the Dukes of Burgundy really loved their local wine and really um, that association with royalty established it, established the region in other parts of France and Europe as a wine to be drunk by, by the very best. Um, and then we saw a gradual transition from the church to the bourgeoisie. And um, this is where the Negocion come in. In the 1720s and 1730s, Negocion were first established. And Negocion are merchants. And these are merchants who buy grapes and buy wine from all the different growers, blend the wine together, and then sell the wine under their brand name. And Negocions are still very, very important for different reasons. Burgundy really um, got going in the, in the 1700s because transport became much better. So the establishment of roads in the 1700s, and then, looking forward, railways and canals in the mid-19th century enabled Bur Burgundian wines to be drunk around Europe. The grapes uh, back in the day would have been Pinot Noir, and also Fromenteau would have been the white grape, which is called Pinot Gris today. Same in um, Champagne as well, Fromenteau was very important. But now, of course, Chardonnay is the white grape variety. So Burgundy is really popular in the 19th century because of those transport networks and the, the reputation established first by the church and then by the dukes and then by the negociants, making it a, a business that could be, where the wine could be sold elsewhere. And the wines varied in quality in the 19th century. There's a lot of cheap Burgundy being made in order to um, kind of piggyback the success of more expensive Burgundy. So a lot of Gamay was planted in the 19th century. And also there were a lot of vineyards which were either overplanted or weren't really suitable for vine growing but were still used. But then Phylloxera hit in the 1870s and rootstocks were only grafted in the 1890s. Burgundy actually outlawed the use of rootstock because the rootstocks were American vines and they thought that they would um, compromise the quality of Burgundy's wine. After, roots, after phylloxera and once rootstocks were finally grafted, the uh, vines planted were different, there was much less gamay, and also the vineyards which were less suitable for vine growing weren't replanted, so there was a refocus on quality. Going back to 1855, we have the first classification of Burgundy's vineyards, and this was formalised in the 1930s when the Grand Cru appellations were created. So each Grand Cru is its own appellation, and this is a single vineyard 
historically considered as one of the best in Burgundy. And then this is followed in 1943 by the establishment of Premier Cru vineyards, of which there are many more. There's only around 30 Grand Cru vineyards, but around 600 Premier Cru. So much more of those, but they are still of very high quality. So the way that the Cote d'Or works in particular, and that's what we're going to focus on in this episode, is this long escarpment which spreads from just south of Dijon all the way down to Sontenay. And this escarpment is a slope on which the vines grow and different quality according to where they are on the slope. So at the bottom of the slope, where it's quite flat, is the Bourgogne AC, so kind of the generic regional wine, which, uh, where the, the, the grapes can come from anywhere in the region. As the slope goes up, we have the village wines, so higher quality, the slope just getting more of the sunshine and also better drainage. Go higher up again, we have the Premier Cru vineyards. And then higher up again, we have the Grand Cru. This is really mid-high mid on the slope, getting the full exposure from the sun. So the Cote d'Or is east-facing, but it's actually broken down into different valleys by small rivers, and so there's lots of different um, aspects on, on the Cote d'Or. So that's one of the reasons why the vineyards have their own uh, peculiarities and own qualities. The soils on the Cote d'Or are mainly limestone, with iron-rich red soils for Pinot Noir, but they do vary from vineyard to vineyard. Another reason why um, there are so many different styles and all these Grand Cru and Premier Cru, and also Lieu d which means a named vineyard, not necessarily a Premier Cru, but a vineyard that has its own name. And then that limestone does continue in patches in the Chalonnais and the Maconnais, which we'll look at in a different episode. So the climate here is continental, with cold winters and cool, short, variable summers, which does lead to a lot of vintage variation. And um, there's hail and rain in the summer and in the autumn, which can again lead to vintage variation and um, lower yields as well. That hail and storms comes when the wind comes from the west. Quite a lot of wind in this region. There's breezes from the north which will cool the summer wind. So again, lots of variable regional conditions. And here Chardonnay does cope with the conditions better than Pinot Noir. And Pinot Noir is the, the grape which really does vary from re um, vintage to vintage the most. So with these plantings we have 48% Chardonnay. So Chardonnay here is kind of the classic style of Chardonnay with malolactic fermentation being used to soften the acids to make the wines a little bit less harsh but also to add complexity to the wine. So those creamy, buttery, yogurty aromas which you get with Chardonnay come directly from the malolactic fermentation. And also the use of oak. It may be old oak, it may be new oak, usually a small percentage of new oak to add some spice and to add some structure and maybe some tannins, that drying sensation which makes the wine gripping. And then we have 34% Pinot Noir and then there's 10% Gamay and 6% Aligote, so much less important and much lower quality in general, in this region at least. So let's look at the um, Cote de Nuit in particular, going from north to south. So it's broken down into several villages, all with their own characteristics. So the northernmost village is Marcenay, which produces fruity red wines. Less important, but it is also good value, and there are some producers who um, kind of focus on this appellation. To the south of Marcenay is Fisan, which neighbours Jevry-Chambertin. And it's very similar in style to the more famous appellation, rich, deep-coloured, powerful red wines. But because it's less famous and less prestigious than Gervais Chambertin, the prices are quite a bit lower, so Fistina is a good appellation to look out for for value. So Gervais Chambertin, one of the most famous villages in, um, in the world for wine production. And within Gervais Chambertin, there are eight Grand Cru, all based around the vi village of Chambertin. 
So looking at the name of Gevrichamitan, what happened in the late 19th century is that the mayors of the local villages decided to affix the name of the most famous vineyard to the name of their village to make their village more prestigious. So Gevrichamitan itself is a village wine. Good quality, maybe very good quality, but not as outstanding as the name Chambertin suggests. So the name Chambertin refers to one vineyard, a Grand Cru, on that mid-slope, just getting the perfect exposure and just infertile soils, making those uh, vines work, work harder. And these produce really deep, powerful wines. We think of Burgundy as having a relatively cool climate. It's actually a moderate climate. It gets a bit sunnier and warmer than people perhaps acknowledge sometimes. And the Pinot Noir are generally much bolder and fruit and not fruitier, but bigger and more powerful and more structured than perhaps um, the stereotype around Burgundy Pinot suggests. And Gervais Chambertin is certainly the most powerful of the wines of the Cote de Nuit and Burgundy in general. Then we go to the village of Maurice Saint Denis which is sandwiched between Gevrichamitan and Chambon Musigny and produces a style of wine in between the styles of those two villages. So where Gevrichamitan is very powerful and Chambon Musigny more elegant, Maurice-Saint-Denis is a combination of those two elements. And there are five Grand Cru in this small village of Maurice-Saint-Denis, so a real concentration of quality. Two of the most famous are Clos de la Roche, which has a fuller body, and Clos Saint-Denis, which is a bit lighter and is rich in limestone soils. This is perhaps my most uh, favourite village in the Côte de Nuit because of that combination of styles. And it's sometimes not as expensive as its neighbours, though it can still fetch pretty high prices. And then we have Chambol Musigny. As I mentioned, elegant, it's perfumed. There are two Grand Cru in Chambol Musigny, Le Musigny itself, which has a different type of limestone, oolitic, so it's more porous style of limestone. And also Bon Mar, which has more power and more structure than Le, Le Musigny. And Bon Mar actually... Um, goes into Vujo, which is next to it. But this is the most, the most famous uh, Grand Cru in Vujo, is Grand Cru Claude de Vujo, which has 50 hectares and over 80 owners, which is um, a lot of owners for one vineyard. So just thinking that again, 50 hectares, 80 owners. So this comes back to the Napoleonic inheritance laws, which stipulated that any property, any piece of land, had to be equally divided among the owner's sons when uh, the land was, in, was inherited. And this happened from generation to generation. So there's been huge fragmentation. And this is why the negociant are so important, because all these very small growers can't really afford to produce wine on their own if they just own one row of vines. And so they sell their grapes to a negociant who blends them all together and sells, them, sells the wine themselves. Also, cooperatives are very important for that reason. So you can sell your grapes to a co-op. Also, there has been a change since the 1960s. Domain bottling has become more important as growers start to bottle their wines themselves. This means very small production and very expensive wines that some growers are really worth uh, seeking out. So Clos de Vujo, very large vineyard, and it is divided into different styles. And many people argue this should actually be divided into different vineyards. So the top of the vineyard has a light chalk, gravel, limestone soil, and this produces the best wines. This is really the, the centre of the Grand Cru status. And these are quite rich wines with truffle aromas. In the middle, soft limestone, clay, gravel, gentle slope, more of a Premier Cru status, though still officially Grand Cru. And at the bottom, it's alluvial clay, and this probably should just be a village wine. So quality really does vary. And then we have the village of Flagy Echizo, where there are two Grand Cru, Echizo and Grand Echizo. Again, some people argue that Grand Cru is a little bit generous for this statement, but it's certainly unlikely 
so that it will ever be declassified. And these wines are red and dark and supple. Then we have Vaune Romanée, which arguably produces the finest Pinot Noir in the world. And here there are six Grand Cru. Uh, Romanée Conti, La Romanée, La Tache, Richebourg, Romanée Saint-Vivant, and La Grand Rue. Romanée Conti is perhaps the most famous. It's, just, it's a monopole, so owned solely by Domaine, de Domaine Romanée de la Conte. And there are 600 cases of this wine made each year from just under two hectares of land. And so very, very small production. And DRC, the only producer that is allowed to be named after a vineyard, so very unusual. And so let's listen to Aubert de Villan, the co-owner of DRC, and what he has to say about the, um, his winery and the vineyards that he, or his company, own. The, the Domaine La Romanée-Conti is located in vaune romaine the village of vaune romaine just uh, north of Nuit Saint-Georges, and uh, it uh, produces uh, in this village since uh, many generations, uh, several wines that are all Grand Cru, uh, La Romane Conti and La Tache, which are so-called monopole, uh, we are the only owners, and then uh, we have holdings in uh, Richebourg, Romane Saint-Vivant, Grands Echezeaux, Echezeaux, and de Montrachet, even Montrachet, on the Côte de Beaune, huh? it's not in Bon Normandie, that's in Côte de Beaune, and uh, since uh, three years, uh, we have uh, some Corton, uh, which is uh, also uh, in Corton, outside of Vaughan. My, uh, my family has, uh, has uh, inherited, if I can say, uh, some, of this, uh, some of these vineyards uh, in, uh, in the 19th century. My uh, ancestor built the domain as it is today between 1840 and 1860, and uh, since then we have been uh, we have we have kept it uh, through uh, very difficult times: uh, Philoxera, First World War, uh, Crisis of '29, Second World War. But we uh, we have been uh, able to keep it uh, during all this time, and now we are. I am now myself the seventh generation after the, uh, this uh, ancestor. So let's quickly look at those different vineyards. The Romani Conti has a brown and deep soil at, and at the bottom, but at the top it's um, shallower and steeper. And these wines have finesse, but they're powerful and long-lived, and they're also extremely expensive. La Romane is steep, but with less clay. La Tache, also solely owned by DRC, has six hectares, so it's larger than Romani Conti, and it's more attractive when it's young. This is still an expensive wine, but not quite as much as Romani Conti, and can be drunk much younger. Then there's Richebourg, where there's eight hectares and ten growers, so again that fragmentation. This is a voluptuous um, style of Pinot Noir. Then we have Romani saint Vivon with nine hectares, six owners, and it's a less powerful style. And then there's La Grande Rue, just one and a half hectares, and it's not quite as good as the other Grand Cru of Vaune Romanée. Then finally, we have Nuit Saint-Georges. This is the largest town in the, in the uh, Côte de Nuit. There are no Grand Cru here, though it really should have some, especially Saint-Georges Vineyard should be a Grand Cru. And the fact there are no Grand Cru here is down to the modesty of the mayor in the 1930s when the Grand Cru appellations were created, because he was in charge of the appellation process. And so that, um, out of his modesty, there were no Grand Cru named in New Saint-Georges, which is really a great shame. And these wines, again, are quite dark and quite powerful and quite tannic. So that's the Côte de Nuit. Next episode, we'll look at the Côte de Beaune to continue our investigation into the great wines of Burgundy. This is Matthew Will Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. This has been Matthew. 
and thanks for listening. <laughs>